Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. In today's episode, I speak with two great team members from Drayton Manor, Danielle Nichols, Senior Content Executive, and Ross Ballinger, the Designer and Brand Manager. We discuss the complex rebranding process and how building a great social media community can mean your fans having your back when it comes to big change. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Woohoo! I've got Danielle and Ross from Drayton Manor Hello. on the podcast today. Hello! Hello there. Very excited to be here. <laughs> I love how excited you are. I'm, I'm just talking, listeners. Um, Danielle and Ross are literally the most pumped guests I've ever had on the podcast. <laughs> That's it. We better live up to that now. I know, right? They've got a snazzy Drayton Manor background behind them, which is looking fierce. But as ever, we're going to start with our icebreaker questions. Imagine that you're just down your pub with your mates. This is how I need you to feel with the icebreaker <laughs> okay. questions. Yeah. All right. Get a few beers in. Ready? <laughs> yeah. What are you most likely to buy when you exit through the gift shop? Pin badge, I reckon. Yeah, I've got a lot of pin badge collection. Oh, I like this. <laughs> Ross? Yeah. yeah. I'm very similar. I'm fridge magnet. You can't go wrong with a fridge magnet. No. No. And like we've got a secondary fridge like under the stairs, which is where we keep the beers. And that's where <laughs> all the fridge magnets go at the end if we've been to an attraction. Or... I love it. Is yeah. that because your house is beautiful and your partner does not want them on her fridge and you have to exactly. hide them? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> that. The wife does not want them on the normal fridge. They're hidden behind the door. I've got to get a fridge magnet. Pin badges, fridge magnets, excellent choices. Um, Mine would be a rubber. Have I told you about my rubber collection? That's interesting. Oh, so you collect branded rubbers? Right. Well, I used to when I was a kid. I'm going to show you them. I've got them on the desk next to me. Oh, my God, please. Sorry, listeners. People that are listening, this is rubbish. But if you're watching the YouTube video, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Um, (laughs) So they still smell... Again, this is not podcast material, but they smell absolutely incredible. Smell really like, good. Oh this God, is an eighties collection of novelty rubbers. What's from, your oldest I, rubber in there? Well, there's Did one in the there. Longest? So there's one in there from um, the planetarium, the London planetarium. Does that exist anymore? <laughs> Look at my then. Thought Park That's... one. Oh my gosh, that oh, is a throwback. This is a, this is an old one as well. Anyway, yeah. so everyone still one. does rubbers. So we fit in there with you. Because I can collect them. <laughs> Pin badge, magnet, rubber. rubber. We stick together. That's perfect. It's <laughs> like the perfect triangle with a perfect gift shop triangle. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Next one. Uh, if you had to live in a sitcom for the rest of your life, which sitcom would you choose and why? Oh, mine's easy. I feel like we're going to be the same. Yeah. Friends. Friends. Yeah. Uh, who would you be? Like if you had to be one of the characters. I'm like a perfect mix between Phoebe, Michelle, and Monica, I think. Okay. okay. Again, have a little triangle. Maybe more Maybe. towards Phoebe. I'm yeah. a bit more hippie, I guess. <laughs> Russell, I, lo- I love all the guys. I love all the guys. because uh, I just love Chandler because he's so funny. But then that Ross is funny as well when he doesn't try to be funny. But Ross was such a good actor, and you don't realise until you watch it 17,000 times actually how good <laughs> of an actor he was. Um, Can you be a gunther? I'd have to sway. No, no. <laughs> I think I'd just have to sway towards Chandler just because he was known for being comedic and stupid. And that's so, and that you feel like that's your life role. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would I would go and live Chandler's life any day. Okay, I love this. All right, good, good answers. It's what I thought you were gonna say. 
This is what I thought, I thought you were gonna, yeah, I thought, I thought it was going to be friends. All right. If you had to pick one item to win a lifetime supply of, what would you pick? That is so hard. I don't know. Probably whiskey. <laughs> lifetime supply of whiskey, just like coming out of the tap. It's <laughs> a good choice. I genuinely don't know. That's really, really hard. It's got to be food or drink. Yeah, it's got to be like crisps or something like that. Yeah. You can't beat a crisps and dip combo. Yeah. What about crisp sandwich? How do we feel about crisp sandwiches? Oh, I'm not sure about that one. What? I'm not sure. Come on, I'm you're northern. You can put anything in a sandwich. I would put crisps inside a cheese sandwich or something like that. Yeah, but yeah, that's not like... the crisps. Yeah. Uh, see, I would do I'd it do though. That. I would, I would. I'm happy to have a, che- a like a filling sandwich with crisps in it, or yeah. just a plain crisp yeah, sandwich. Yeah, I do wow. either. What I really love about you two is how well you get on. And we're going to talk a little bit about this in the podcast <laughs> yeah. today about your roles and yeah. what you do at Drayton Manor. But um, yeah. you, you look like. Is that evident? Yeah, is that evident? But yeah, but even from your social media channels, it like you guys feature quite heavily across Straight and Manners social media channels. And yeah. honestly, it just looks like you have the best time <laughs> ever. And I want to hear more about we it. Do. But um, yeah. firstly, I need your unpopular opinions. What have you prepared okay. for us? As Ross alluded, I'm very, very northern. I think my accent a little bit, but more like how I am. So mine is it's not a bap. It's not a bread roll. It's not a carb. It's a muffin. <laughs> what? <laughs> a muffin. <laughs> That's mine. It's a carb. No, it's a muffin. A you call it a carb. A muffin? No, it's a bun. Like, what's wrong with you? You say bun. I've heard batch as well. Like my partner calls it a batch, which is kind of crazy to me. But muffin. We'll go muffin. <laughs> okay. For now, we yeah. accept muffin. <laughs> <laughs> Ross, moving on. Uh, mine is I just think soap operas are crap. Honestly, I was going to swear, but I, I just I can't stand soap operas. And I know there's a lot of people out there that love them, I, I, but I just can't. I can't watch them. I, I just think they're so depressing. And if they're on, if if I accidentally get home and it's like the channel's on where it's on, I get anxious and I have to find the remote as soon as I can to turn it off. What a waste of your life. What a waste of time. Honestly, hours and hours. And you add that up over a week and a year. I know. I think what else you could be doing. Honestly, if I turn it on now by accident, it's the same actors that are in it 20, 30 <laughs> years ago. And think, what have they done with their life as well? It's been in the same pop for 30 years. These are excellent unpopular opinions. I <laughs> Listeners, please let me know if you agree or disagree. Thank you for preparing those for us today. I yeah. appreciate it. No right. You guys work together. Tell me a little yeah. bit about like your roles and what you do there so my title is design and brand manager so I'm technically like lead designer for the resort and the brand guardian uh look after the brand guidelines um so yeah I could I'll produce with me and my little team uh everything that goes out graphically or visually across all the channels website uh printed media so yeah, <laughs> you definitely underplayed yourself. Did I? Yeah, you do I don't so know. much. Like you say, your little team, you and one other person, you yeah. smash everything, like literally everything. Oh, thanks. <laughs> That's a lot of work for you. It is team. because if if you think in the industry, I can imagine people on kind of like parallel with us would have bigger teams, mm-hmm. bigger resource. Because we're basically like Drayton Manor is 
a massive entity. It's not just a theme park. It's a hotel as well. It's a zoo. Then we have Thomasland, which could be considered as a separate entity. So they're like four, what I consider as two, uh, four blue chip clients. Yeah. And then we operate as like a little agency within the resort that looks after all those. But then you've got the resort's departments as well, which could be classed as a client. So you've got catering, retail. They're the big ones that have in my head. But they're like, they all have their kind of graphical um, requirements as well, design requirements. So yeah, it's a massive entity. And we look after it all. And how many did you say? There's two. There's there's two of you. There's two of us. Yeah. That's mad. That is mad. So you you are yeah. So I think I like I really resonate with this because I obviously come from an agency background. I set up my agency nearly twenty years ago. I feel ancient, but you oh, wow. you know that what what you're doing is you are essentially like a mini agency with loads of clients and two of you. It's crazy. So I can imagine it's quite stressful, but also lots of fun because you get to work on a lot of variety. Oh, very varied. Yeah, every day is different. And that is not just a cliche that you can just say. Literally every day is so different because it's an exciting company as well where there's new things happening all the time, constantly evolving strategies or, you know, new things come in and go in so yeah it's very varied daniel what's your role because the two of you do work quite closely together as well don't you yeah yeah we do so my role is the title is senior content executive so i primarily look after the social media channels and um, so facebook twitter instagram linkedin and tiktok um creating the content taking the pictures work with um, video agents sometimes creating a video in-house as well and kind of all of the community engagement that goes alongside that as well. Whilst also writing any copy and creating the content for the website and any signage requirements, literally anything that you see that has text on it, normally me and Ross have worked together to create that. Um, And with social, it's both paid and organic social media. So all of the adverts you see alongside all of the organic stuff you see on our feeds. I also help out with PR as well. So we have a PR agency that we work with, but we kind of liaise alongside them. And now getting more into like the traditional media as well. Um, so the pair leaflets and like out of home um, magazines, articles. Yeah, a little bit of everything now that it's... Um... <laughs> That's mad. <laughs> I love that you I love that you were just glossing over like elements of your job that I'm like, that's a whole person's job there. Like yeah. oh, we do all, you know, the social, you know, community building and we do this bit and this bit. I'm like, wow, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. You know, I just think I think that goes to show even with you know, we, we talk to attractions of all kinds of shapes and sizes on this podcast. And I think it just goes to show that even yeah. with uh, an attraction that is a big attraction and it's perceived to be a very big attraction actually you're working with really small yeah. teams here and there's a lot yeah. on each person's shoulder yeah. and a lot of responsibility and I yeah, think it's definitely. really important that we highlight that that you know yeah. you, you've got you're doing a lot there um but the ex- the extended team is really good as well yeah, we've got it's really amazing. good team members so the rapport across the whole team is yeah. very tight in terms of like the marketing side, um, I report into a digital marketing manager and she is insane. Like she's amazing at what she does. And then alongside me, we also have digital marketing exec. Um, and how it kind of splits out is he looks after all of the like technical side. So SEO, CRM, that kind of thing. And I look after the creative content and then we both report into the digital manager. So it's, it sounds like it's a little team, but it sounds like such fun roles as well. Like genuinely, they yeah, sound like really cool. Did you, 
because I know Danielle, you are a bit of a theme park. I'm going to say no, yeah. but you're a theme park nut, right? Yeah, you love theme park. absolutely. Yeah. And I'm guessing yeah. Ross to work in a theme park, you've got to love a theme park. Like, ha- did you yeah, kind of absolutely. tailor your careers to make this happen? Was this like always your ultimate goal? Was like, I want to work in an attraction? Yes and no, kind of. <laughs> so I studied to be a graphic designer, went to university three years, and then I worked as like a digital artist while I was at uni. And then I kind of went straight into an agency, a local agency, after getting like a, a quite a sought after placement in London. Um, and then I worked for an agency for like nearly nine years. So I kind of like learned my craft there really, worked my way up from a junior up to like a, a senior creative. And I kind of ended up looking after all the top clients there as well. But I kind of like nine years, almost nine years was kind of like enough. I knew I wanted to go in-house because yeah. it was at that kind of time, there was a bit of a boom of like, companies and clients getting kind of in-house designers because they knew how cost-effective it would be to to have your graphic designer in-house. So I started looking about and I wanted a fun industry. There was no way I was going to go and work for like a a boiler company. I don't want to, I don't want to badmouth any other companies out there, but you know, something engineering or... More typically fun. Yeah, Yeah. I wanted to go full on uh, fun. So, and I used to come to Drayton as a kid as well. So I knew Drayton Manor. That's yeah. nice to have that connection, isn't it? Like, you know the brand, you've lived it. I've got pictures of me around the park when I'm, like, seven or eight with, like, my mum <laughs> and dad. So I have that kind of, like, nostalgic connection. And I was a big Tom, a big Thomas fan as well when I was a kid growing up. So Thomas Tank Engine had the wallpaper, had the bedspreads, <laughs> loved the episodes. So when I knew that the big blue engine was here as well, it was like... Big boss Thomas. Big boss, yeah, Thomas is your boss. <laughs> any day yeah. <laughs> so yeah yeah so yeah, I kind of uh I was a fan of attractions anyway who's not a fan of going out exactly. and days out exactly and so it kind of worked cool and but Danielle you went out and made that happen didn't you you yeah. like this was your focus <laughs> it was yeah I think maybe not so much like early on I I guess this is kind of different but from the age of about 13 14 I never wanted to work in marketing but I wanted to do marketing for a dance company at the time so I did a couple of placements at some dance companies, Northern Ballet, Phoenix Dance Theatre, places like that. And that was the dream up until about 17, I want to say, when I was at college, I knew that I wanted theme parks. So I went and did a marketing, media and marketing degree. And as soon as like I got to my second year, I was like, right, that's it. I, I need to find a theme park. I need to get experience. I need to like connect with as many people as I can on LinkedIn. And it was like, my focus that's interesting hang on let let, let me just because yeah. that's that isn't like a typical 17 year old's path is it like they wouldn't necessarily <laughs> go I know that I want to work in this industry therefore I need to connect yeah. with people that can help me make that happen that's that's a really good piece of advice yeah and I was literally on it like messaging people I think I messaged at the time the PR manager for Legoland and was like hello anything you can help me with like I was really a bit, bit brutal um But yeah, then I went to uni and did everything I could whilst I was there to try and get the connections still. I applied for a couple of grad schemes with some other groups um, and sadly didn't make it through to those. So as like a a bit of a bridge between finishing uni and starting Drayton, I went to work for a tour operator who sold like overseas UK um, holidays, but also sold like theatre, attraction tickets, theme parks, so it was kind of like a bit of a gap between the two. 
and I worked there for a year and then the job at Drayton came up and at the time I was living in York working for this um tour operator and I was like I've got to go for it it was a marketing officer job so a little bit different to what I do now but I ha- had yeah. to so I, I drove two and two and a bit hours up um in my little, my little <laughs> c1 at the time like <laughs> and um but I yeah. feel that we both kind of came in at J- Drayton in our respective kind of roles is like entry level really yeah because I just started as graphic designer I took a, I took a pay cut to come here because I really wanted to start here yeah. it was never about anything like that so I, was, I wanted to work at Drayton so that proves that I wanted to work yeah. <laughs> And and like our roles have both kind of escalated over the seasons that we've been here. Because I did move so far and like away from my family and stuff, it was a big jump. I had three weeks to find a house and somewhere to live as well, (laughs) which was fun. But I managed to do it. And honestly, I I don't regret it. I don't look back at all. It's probably the best thing I've ever done. If you want it, you make it happen. Yeah, totally. And I think it really says a lot about the Drayton Manor brand that you've done that as well. Like there is a real, like it comes through with both of you, like how much you love it. and, And it's, amazing that you've you know Ross you've taken a pay cut you've you've changed where you live to come and work and be part of what's happening there so I think that's real testimony to the brand itself and that's a couple of things that that we really want to focus on for this conversation today so I'm going to start with the focus on you Danielle if that's okay because I think what you what you mentioned really briefly when you kind of like went oh yeah and we do this kind of thing as well (laughs) um what you said around the kind of social community side so you have built the social community and I want you to explain like how you've been able to do that and what that's looked like. So tell us a little bit about that element of your role. So I've been here um, just over four years now. And in that time, we've been through like so much change, but also social has changed so much. So when I first started, I was looking at social, but it was more let's just post and leave it kind of thing um, and see how it is engaged with see how it works but over time I've tried to like hone it so it's more about a social community rather than we're just talking at them it's more we're talking with them and we're engaging with them um I think like I say we've grown into different channels so we were really just focusing on Facebook we had a little bit of Twitter and a little bit of Instagram but it was primarily Facebook whereas now we've brought in um more LinkedIn stuff and TikTok as well which has really helped I think in terms of like building the social community though, there's like so many um, different like to-dos that you can stick to. But for me, it's more about seeing what works for your brand because it doesn't always fit the same. It's not just one formula that fits all. And I guess like you said about bringing in different social channels, you kind of need to work out like where your audience is, where you get, I guess where you're getting the most engagement as well. And then like, you are a small team. How do you then divide up where you spend your time you you've got to spend it in the areas that you're going to get that engagement right yeah. so you might then end up dropping certain channels or not being as I don't know get, get not putting as much effort into those ones just because it's just not where you get the engagement I think in terms of the different channels they all have a different audience if that makes sense so Facebook is very like family orientated um you get the grandparents the mums on there whereas Twitter is like theme park fans and kind of a slightly younger it's very conversational tiktok is kind of younger but it's the demographics on there are shifting slightly to be kind of everyone at the moment like because it's where all the trends are and things there's a big range our audience on there is like 13 to maybe like 35 40 upwards 
Um, so it is very varied. Instagram is like a mix between Twitter and Facebook. So you do get the families and the mums on there, but then you get the theme park fans that just want to see pictures of roller coasters, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and with the introduction of reels as well, that's um, kind of trying to tackle TikTok. So that's really important. And LinkedIn is like corporate, but we do have a team, like I say, we have like a digital manager as well, but she's so busy with like all the other things that she's got to look after. So the social, like creating the content and community engagement just sits with me. So I kind of have like a big plan of all the different channels and the different days. And because I've kind of, I know the Jane brand inside and out, I know what works now. So we tend to post like every other day on Facebook, every day on Twitter. And we try to do every weekday on TikTok, Instagram, very similar to Facebook. But there's not really one that I prioritise necessarily. Um, At first it was TikTok, like at the start of this year, because obviously that was where it was taking off. But now it's just about tailoring the message across and trying to keep active on all of them. Do you have to really tailor what you put out on each of the channels as well? So you don't do like, you know, this this is going to go out across all of our socials. You have to really think about how those, because there's, I guess there's subtle nuances about how people react to certain things on different channels yeah. and, and how they might communicate back with you. I think from what I've kind of been doing this season in particular is Twitter has been very conversational. So I've not necessarily been worried about always having an image on there or always having a piece of media on there just some text normally works so long as it's engaging and people feel like they want to respond to it whether there's a CTA on there or it's just something that's kind of humorous then that tends to work quite well but yeah (laughs) it's no mean feat like there's there's an awful lot of work that goes into that and I think um it's really interesting to hear about the tailoring as well and how people kind of you you know you're going to get different reactions from different people on different social media platforms we tend to get um particularly in facebook like in the comments they're always really interesting to read they're so different to twitter because facebook you'll get sometimes you get some complaints in there but because our community is so strong now we get other people responding for us which is a it's amazing i love it that's phenomenal sometimes you've got to kind of moderate it because they might give an answer that's not necessarily right but yeah, a lot of the time they'll be sticking up for us or they'll be responding to the questions for us, which is interesting. That's really impressive. And I didn't know that that happened. Is that part of, because you've put so much work into building your community, they are now kind of like backing you to other people. Exactly, yeah. Wow. Yeah, they've kind of become our brand guardians without us making them, if that makes sense, because they're so loyal to the brand. They just want to... They want their best for us. How, like, how has that happened? Is that is that a time thing? <laughs> is it just is it purely because you've spent so much time like investing in those relationships that that happens now? Nobody's ever told me this before. Like that that that, that happens. I think it's that, but also like you say, Drayton is such a strong brand, and over the particular since I've been here, we've just gone from strength to strength. So I think that helps as well. We also use um, content like user generated content. So if like particularly at the end of a, of a big campaign, so Halloween, we'll say like share your pictures with us and we'll um, share them on our feeds. And that really gives them like a sense of belonging as part of the community because they'll be scrolling down their Facebook or Instagram or wherever and they'll see a picture of maybe their little one or they'll see themselves and yeah, they love it. It's really, yeah, I love that the, the whole user-generated content is brilliant because it allows people to see themselves 
at the place yeah. as well, doesn't it? So it helps like from a from a sales perspective, I think, you know, if people can can look at something and go, oh well I that that family looks just like mine or that person looks just like exactly, me, they've yeah. got this thing just like I have, then they're more in, inclined to maybe buy a ticket to come and see it as well. So it works two ways. It's about recognizing the top fans as well. So I know Facebook has like the top fan badge. Um and on Twitter we've got like a close community group which anyone can join that's just called Drake Man of Top Fans. And we kind of every so often give them a little bit of information early ah. before we give it to everybody else or little things like that that make them feel special. So they feel like VIPs. So they keep them interactive. They've got their yes, they've got their exactly. own like mini community. They feel like VIPs because they get to know stuff early. That's brilliant. Again, I don't, I've never heard any other attraction talk about doing stuff like that. So do you think that that would be like, I always ask about top tips and, you know, what you would, what you would recommend other people to do that are building communities. Do you think that that would be one of your top tips is really best in them? Yeah. And also like respond in a personal manner rather than it being very corporate include your tone of voice wherever you can make sure your tone of voice is dead on point according to your brand guidelines but also be bold and brave we always say that don't we bold and brave, yeah. like don't if you kind of sway away from your <laughs> brand guidelines slightly in order to respond particularly on twitter it works really well yeah. then don't worry too much about that yeah like it yeah. it's okay so long as so long as it's in keeping with your values then yeah and that's okay. It's evident out there as well with all the other big companies. And it, it exactly. becomes it becomes a news story, doesn't it, when yeah. you get supermarkets battling on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. And it's exposure and engagement at the same time. But people great. love that's that. That's another really important thing. Yeah, people love yeah. it. Yeah. Engagement brands help. They yeah, they want to know about the people behind the brands, don't they? And then and like yeah. if they yeah. realise that that you know your brand face actually there's a human behind it who's got a sense of humor I think that goes a really long way that's what we try and do you do it perfectly because I love your Twitter chat you've got a great Twitter chat (laughs) Um, we've talked loads about brand today and that kind of leads me on to what I want to talk to you about Ross which is um, the Drayton Manor brand itself because I think like I might have got this wrong but it's a it's a 70 year old brand so Drayton Manor is about 70 years old yeah 1950 was when it first came about yeah um uh, the, the Bryan family started it in the 1950s. So George Bryan Sr. Um, kind of had this vision to create, you know, uh, an inland pleasure resort for the like, local community. And um, yeah, I guess in short story, it, it escalated from there. And we've uh, got a book all about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> in the shops. So yeah, we owe a lot to the to the Bryan family really for escalating such a, you know, a tiny little brainchild into like a massive attraction that we are today so yeah um the rebrand I I can remember thinking that we needed to rebrand years ago though when I first started um because I think um it's just one of those that was a little bit it's it I don't want to say anything bad about it but it was obviously it needed to change it was a little bit dated yeah it's a bit archaic and I mean it stood the test of time you know and um it did a good job and it you know so how long had the existing brand been in place before you got your got your mitts on it i think that, like the last logo that we had was probably in the brand was probably in place for about 20 years okay. i think it's early 2000s the last logo there was always like slight variations wasn't there yeah there was always a few modifications on it <laughs> but i can imagine that 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 things had changed quite dramatically over those 20 years as well so you know you talk about the need for a rebrand it it, it was really needed 
absolutely what I always think is quite interesting is how long some of these things take because I think that people don't fully understand how long a rebrand can actually take you so can you remember when those conversations first started it's always been since I started it's always been like a project that was like it was like a pinnacle project that we always wanted to try and get onto but we just it, in terms of like budgets and time we just we definitely never got around to it obviously it came to the point I think it was November 2021 when we kind of first kind of sat down and said let's let's now is the time to do it because yeah. obviously we were bought out by a big um a big company looping group and um it was the perfect opportunity to do it obviously like a new era yeah so it made perfect sense so when did you launch it? So you, so November, you sat down and went, right, November 21, we're going to do this. When did it actually launch? Literally. Two minutes later. <laughs> six months. Six months. <laughs> six months. Yeah. We, we put a, like a brand team together, firstly. And obviously, because we're such a small in-house team, we knew that we needed some help. So we got agency help and we got local agencies to pitch in kind of their best processes so they were kind of the experts in doing it and they knew that what protocols and procedures to go through. And we, we chose a really talented local agency in Birmingham. Yeah, started the project in 21 and like launched it six months later. Wow. <laughs> That's a phenomenal amount of work in six months. Yeah, in kind of like, I don't know, design industry terms and the size of the business. That's that's no time at all no really I honestly thought you were going to say we started talking about this three years ago and it took like two years it was a two-year process the best thing was is that we we were doing that alongside (laughs) launching our brand new Vikings area oh my gosh so we're kind of we've got three three new rides to launch we were launching a new website at the same time we have a new um, um, booking system booking yeah new ticketing system oh wow as well as as well as the regular day-to-day work and, um, you know, seasonal campaigns to kind of market, it was literally like um, all Christmases come at once. But it was. Everything we'd wanted for so long. All, in, all went, at the same there time. There you go. <laughs> you can have it all, but you need to do it in this amount of time. <laughs> wow. Um, that is such a lot to all be happy at the same time. But I'm not going to lie. Uh, like this happens at attractions like suddenly they just spring into action yeah. we have just yeah. worked with a, with a exactly like a client with exactly the same they did a rebrand new website booking system all at the same time and you're like ah the yeah. world is on fire what's <laughs> happening um, it was great it was good though I mean we, we collaborated for most of it the agency were a bit of a rock really and they kind of did a lot of the legwork in terms of kind of the brand personality putting together the the guidelines, you know, creating the initial kind of design concepts. But I did sit alongside them and um, collaborate with them. It, it would have just been a, a too big a task solely oh, on my course. own internally. Yeah. Um, which it would have been possible. But I'd like to think I had a lot of input, inspirational design ideas along the way that probably helped chisel the final outcome and the look of the brand that we've got now. Just logos in itself. You had sheets and sheets. Of, sheets and sheets of logos, yeah, logo uh, concepts and variations. But I know I wanted something that was super flexible in terms of composition and layout, because uh, I know kind of what I created before was kind of it was archaic, but it it was flexible. It would work on all different platforms. And then the kind of the typeface 
that we chose for the final logo was one of my early kind of typefaces that I pitched in. And the swirl, that was a, kind of one of my babies. That was one of my original <laughs> concepts. So I always wanted to push that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. But that's what makes for a good agency client relationship is that you do collaborate. Yeah. Like that's how it should be. And they obviously nailed it. And I know that you would have had like so many stakeholders involved in this process as well. Yeah. So I can imagine yeah. how big a challenge that was to actually come to a final, this is what it's going to be like and everyone be happy. It was a challenge, but only because we had a lot of passionate kind of stakeholders that wanted, yeah. you know, uh, a, a valued input, which was, you know, and they had strong views, which was very fair. So the bit that ties these two stories together, the things that we've talked about today, is that yeah. I think you alluded to the fact, Ross, that when the brand launched, it's a big change for people, right? People are like, you, the way that yes. you've talked about the brand is incredibly passionate. I can imagine that local people, people that come to visit, you know, every every week, every month, they are so, the, the brand is like in their heart. So a big change like this can be quite uncomfortable for people, right? And yeah. when the brand launched, there was a little bit of, Mm. yeah there was a bit of yeah. uncertainty yeah and a bit of shock yeah I mean they've had a, a logo installed in their brain for 20 years but it it's when we kind of wanted to launch the rebrand it wasn't just about a logo I mean we kind of did focus on the logo probably in hindsight more than we should have I think that was of, maybe a bit of a learning curve yeah. particularly like on social the asset that we used was the old logo going into the new logo which we thought was great. Yeah. But then when we put it out, we were like, actually, maybe we should have focused more on, like say, brand personality yeah. and visions and values mm. rather than just the logo. Because the, kind of the end user hasn't really seen the six months of graft yeah. that's gone <laughs> into creating that. And we did portray it in like five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> so they just get um, that, hey, this is new, you should love it. Yeah. But they haven't understood about the process exactly. of why you've done certain things and the decisions that have been made. We had a blog which like explained it all perfectly, but you had to click through to the blog. People didn't necessarily do that. They just saw the logo and keyboard. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of like the journey we went through because the people that didn't actually really like it at the beginning and really just sacked it off straight away, they're the people that have kind of warmed to it now yeah. and seen it in execution and how it's how adaptable it is and how we can get our messages across. And the fact that they love it now, and I love that, that we've turned them around. Because the main thing we were trying to do really is come away from fun family memories and turn it to fun for everyone. That was like the main message that we wanted to portray, mm-hmm. um, particularly on the social channels and in brand in general. But yeah, I think going forward, we're definitely going to achieve that. But it's quite interesting because I think like what you talked about earlier, Danielle, your social community, they would have played a big part yeah. in this when you launched it. And so if you, yeah. I guess it would have been harder if you hadn't have already built those relationships and kind of nurtured that community, launching yeah. something like this would have been a thousand times more difficult than actually, yeah. all right, there was a bit of a bump in the road, but it wasn't the end of the world. And people, like you say, yeah. are now warming to it and loving it. Would that have happened if you hadn't have put all that work into the social community aspect? Possibly not. I think, like I say earlier, said earlier, there was a lot of people, they had our backs. Yeah. So there was people like, this is like being very negative. But people were responding saying, look, they have to move forward. They've been through this, that and the other. They have to move forward, see the positives. I think as well, good. probably because we've got such a good social community, 
they felt comfortable with saying what they thought about it exactly. being honest yeah, yeah. which helps because yeah. we do run um focus groups beforehand as part of like the rebrand process with um suppliers annual pass holders staff members like literally with so many people but until it's out there you're not necessarily going to get that big full wider mm. picture mm. so it did help us with how we're going to move forward with the rebrand as well looking at their feedback so you actually took some of their so obviously from the focus groups you would have taken on board some of the the input for the input that you got from those when it yeah. launched was there anything that you took on board from the feedback that you were getting at that point that you could kind of look to, to not not necessarily change but I guess look look at the ways that you implement it in a different way I think the main thing was like we said the logo situation because everyone was so focused on the logo we knew that moving forwards as we were going to kind of explore the brand even more we had to make sure it was about the imagery and the personality and including the um, strap line there and things like that rather than I think that learning curve definitely came from the feedback yeah brilliant it is such a huge project to go through a rebrand. And I think it, there's always that anxious moment when you unveil it to people and they go, they, you know, yeah. it could be a bit marmite, right? But I think the way that it's yeah. been managed, that's the important part of this story, really. And it, and that comes back to, again, it, just, it all fits together about how the two of you work together as well. And I think that's quite an important aspect to take away from this podcast episode as well. It's like, it is about it's a team this is a team thing that happens here and it's not just yeah, about absolutely. one person so yeah. you know the, the brand has launched and then suddenly it's all on Danielle's shoulders to deal with all the, the, yeah. the stuff that's coming back it's this is a team thing but no it cascaded all the way through the company didn't it yeah. people would be like even like engineers and everyone and HR yeah, they were like really. they kind of felt the same kind of um it's almost a little bit of disappointment that the reaction wasn't yeah amazing but we all like everybody felt it yeah Yeah. our director of people bought us a box of uh, Krispy Kremes in the office that day (laughs) and was like there you go guys you all okay he did (laughs) (laughs) but there's obviously like horror stories of brands doing this and like reverting back but we knew that we got something that was amazing that we were going to stick to and once we knew we could roll it out that it was going to flourish so we're just glad that we stuck to our guns and just yeah. weathered the, the negativity at the beginning. And, and now it's people love it. Like you say, we have people coming over us, don't we? It's good. Kind of saying, oh, I wasn't sure at first, but now yeah. we love it. Uh, see, and that's what you want, right? You want people, you want it to, to be loved by everybody that sees it now. Yeah. It's brilliant. You yeah. just reminded me of something that I saw a few weeks ago. Is, is there, have you seen the video that Staples, when Staples changed their logo? That, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> that's just like as you were talking about it I was going oh my god I watched that last week and it's so yeah and it's like I didn't yeah I just didn't I didn't think it was amazing either but like you I just felt really sorry for the whole team being forced to like clap it and like yeah your logo Oh dear, if that's what they thought brand was. I loved it. I just think that's how you should do it, even if it is a bit cringy. <laughs> that's hilarious. What they've done is open up the staple in the logo and put it on the side. But sometimes that probably would have cost them. That would have cost them an arm and a leg just to do that as well. So much time. It's like a massive build-up to that happening as well. And I was a bit like, wow, there's just like a massive anti-climate. I, I, just loved, I loved everything it. about it, honestly. <laughs> The next rebrand, that's what you'll be doing, Russ. Everyone in, you know, yes. everyone in the attraction, you'll launch it on a big screen. 
Um, I think what you've done and what you've achieved is phenomenal. Um, thank you for coming on the podcast and talking no, to me about you. it today. I really appreciate it. Um, as ever, we always ask our guests if they've got a book that they love that they'd like to share with our audience. So you can pick one each. I think for me, and going back to me being a theme partner, this ties in very well. Um, John Wardley, no. who is, I know, right? <laughs> um, John Wardley, who is like a big theme park, um, like mainly roller coaster designer. He's done work for Merlin, for Potter Ventura, and um, Oakwood, like so many. He was really, really big. He worked on things like Nemesis, Oblivion, um, Katanga Canyon, Alton Towers, Megaphobia, Oakwood. He had like an autobiography called Creating Your Nemesis, which basically spanned through his life of how he got into the theme park industry and where we kind of went through. And it's very like story based and anecdotal, but it was really inspiring and helped me kind of create the courage to knock on doors and do that kind of thing. Oh, I love that. <laughs> great book. Great book choice. That's a really good response to the question. <laughs> See, I, I'm a designer, so I don't really read. I can read, but I just don't read. <laughs> I'm very visual, as you can imagine. So I'm just not a fan of reading. Um, I prefer to just scrub through Instagram and TikTok. <laughs> but I, ha- but I, ha- I have read. I have read books in the past. I remember one book that I think it's probably the only book I have read um, was The Da Vinci Code by um, Dan Brown. I think it's Dan Brown. But that's only because I was interested in Leonardo da Vinci, who was obviously a scientist or an art he was a bit of an, uh, an artist and a, an architect so I was kind of in more kind of interested in his theories and kind of his Vitruvian man I think it is so was more interested in, in his works really but other than that I do own every book by Jamie Oliver so <laughs> if a cookbook works I don't know if you should be sharing that <laughs> so yeah I love Jamie Oliver you know five ingredients 30 minute meals Brilliant. Right. <laughs> Jamie Oliver gets a bad rap, and I don't really know why, because he seems like a I'm nice going guy. Back to unpopular opinion. Well, yeah. well, I think we should, but also a little story in that I live in Saffron Walden, right? Jamie yeah. Oliver lives five minutes around the corner. He's down the road. Um, he goes to the market in my town every Saturday and goes and oh, buys like. I'd love to meet him. Do Ross. Join the queue. I'd love to meet him. I've lived here I since bet. 2019. I've never seen him once. All my friends have seen him. And yeah. now it's like a thing with them. They're like, have you seen him yet? Have you seen it? No. And I feel like I'm not a Jamie Oliver stalker. Like I'm not. <laughs> I just would like to live in the town and be like, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I've never seen him. My mum has, has been messaging me once. And been in, like she's been in the cafe in, in Sapphire Walden and been like, oh, I think Jamie Oliver's on the table next to me. I'm not sure if it's him, though. He looks <laughs> I don't know if it's a fat version of Jamie Oliver or if it's actually... Oh, no, it's Jamie Oliver. It's Jamie Oliver. Oh, no. <laughs> so, like, I can understand. I can understand why people don't like him, but uh, he just splashes his olive oil everywhere. But <laughs> splashes. Splashes it around. Splashes. But he has got that passion for cooking, yes. which is what I resonate with. So he loves what he does. He's so, like... You can't knock his passion. You can't knock his passion. So... I'm in tune right. with that. Listeners, I think, um, well, I think that we should scrap Ross's book choice. And I think we should go with the Jamie Oliver bit. So look, if you <laughs> um, if you head over to Twitter and you retweet this Twitter announcement with I want Ross and Danielle's books, then um, you might be in with the chance of winning Danielle's book and a Jamie Oliver cookbook. Does that sound fair? Okay. I think that's, yeah, I think, that's I what I'm you're about. I'm more passionate about that. All right, yeah, let's yeah. do that then. Yeah. 
um thank you it was lovely to have you both on i've really so really thank enjoyed you. it thank you. um and also thank you for the lovely little tour that i got of the new vikings area at drayton manor I'm when so um you hosted the uk theme park awards earlier this year yeah, it was yeah, awesome was yeah. um i think that's where you spotted us <laughs> Well, look, I'm not going to lie. You guys were sitting behind me and you were extremely loud. And I thought they were great. <laughs> they were great never. podcast guests. <laughs> they like whooping everyone. You had so much energy that day, though. I think it was knackered by the end of the day. I loved it. No, you hosted it perfectly. It was a brilliant event. And um, But the but the attraction is, uh, the, area, the new area is fantastic. So um, definitely go on, book your ticket um, and go on and see yeah. that while you can. So thanks for coming on, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.